I wonder how much would you give for your eyes? This is a hypothetical question I've heard some people ask. Would you give away one eye if you got a million for it? How about 10 million for one eye? What about both of them for million or for well, but milliard, billion? No one would. I, I hope, I think. Opposite, in fact, some might want to give a million or ten to restore a lost eye, or even a billion if they had it to restore their eyesight. Last Lord's Day, Gideon showed us that we can only worship Jesus rightly if we see him rightly. And this took us to the miracle of Jesus restoring the eyesight of this one man. Can you imagine what it must have been like 30 minutes before the healing and 30 minutes after the healing for this man? He has... He is blind. He doesn't see. He must have been willing to give everything he had and more to restore it. Do you remember how he described what he saw when Jesus healed him the first time? He said, I see people, but they, they walk around like trees. So probably he once had eyesight. Why else would he know what the trees look like? If he had a million or a billion and he knew that it, it was in fact possible to restore the eyes, to restore the eyesight, wouldn't he want to pay it all? Wouldn't he? Wouldn't anyone? Gideon showed us the importance of seeing Jesus rightly in order that we might, might worship God rightly. And this continues as the disciples, showing that they did not in fact see truly yet the disciples nor understand Jesus rightly. It is as if they were the same as this blind man. They were blind, but they saw more and more. But we will see that they only saw trees, if you would. They saw Jesus both in physical sight, and they saw who he was, but not yet fully here in Mark. So we read from Mark 30. 8 to 31 this morning, yet Gideon preached through verse 33. So just to remember the context of what today's text is, which is crucial. Peter has just confessed, Jesus, you are the Christ. They were on board. They were excited. They were ready to follow Jesus wherever it would take them. But Jesus knew that they didn't see fully yet. So he began to teach them that the Son of Man had to suffer and to be rejected and even be killed. And it is like Peter is baffled at this. He is that the Son of Man has to be killed, that he is to be rejected. And maybe he doesn't hear the and rise again part Jesus comes to. As he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him, it's not the well, Jesus, I'm not sure if you really meant what you said there. Or, that's not really how it is, is it? It is the, you will stop this immediately, this, in a sense, devilish talk, this untrueness. May God have mercy upon what, that you said this. It's that kind of a connotation, that kind of power of the rebuke. May God have mercy on you for saying such a thing. Matthew tells us that Peter said, Far be it from you, this shall not happen to you, Matthew says. But Jesus then rebuked Peter, as he would the 
the demons and as he did with Satan and now following with Peter he rebuked them he rebuked Peter and this is saying that Peter's words were as vile and as evil as the devil's Satan's words in the desert was because Peter is saying that Jesus you don't have to die you don't have to be rejected you don't have to be crucified to finish your mission in a sense which is exactly what the devil said Jesus just bow down to me and you won't have to go through this suffering that you you know that you you should do but just bow down before me and it will be okay it is as Peter saying no Lord this is not the way for you to complete your mission don't die be the military political hero that we know is coming but they didn't understand messiahship yet they didn't see who Jesus was truly they were they were ready they had followed they had confessed they had been with him they had spoken they had they had done everything to show that they were they are on board but Jesus is saying yes but you need to understand fully what this all means and what it will cost you so the title of today's message is a costly cross to bear a costly cross to bear and we'll see what's in store for the disciples of Jesus both them and us today Jesus Christ gives us the whole message today in, in Mark it's until now there's been just a few short few shorter or a few longer sections of Jesus's teaching straight out generally it's this documentary drama where we see the narrator the the one who gives the story he says this happened to them and this happened to them and Jesus said this and they responded this this kind of way but here it's a longer speech in a sense a longer sermon from from Jesus then and today we read the words of Jesus and they will tell us that being a disciple is not easy going it's not a flippant thing it's a very serious thing I open with how much would you give to regain your eyesight how much more wouldn't you give to give for your life in Matthew Jesus I Jesus says that if your eye causes you to sin it would be better for you to not to he says pluck it out it's better for you to not have eyesight than to let that eyesight cause you to sin we know that Jesus didn't say that okay just remove the things that makes you sin part by part and you'll be left with nothing because it's not the it's not the eyes it's not the hands it's not the feet that sins it's the heart as we've gone through but Jesus's point was eyesight means nothing compared to your life your soul and so we will see that it will be a costly cross to bear as Jesus before us bore his so it was costly for him he gave his life and it will costly for us as we follow him and Jesus gives this in the section 34 to 91 as one long string just continuing on from the beginning he says this and because of this this falls and this falls and this falls because 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 it's all going from this main point for whoever for what for what for whoever 
And so I've broken it down in three points so you can see Jesus' points played out for this morning. As we carry this cross, let us discover the first, looking at verse 34, the cost of following Jesus. Second, the motivation for following Jesus, looking at verses 35 to 38. And then lastly, the hope in following Jesus, looking at 9.1. So the cost, then, of following Jesus. We get here the, the main point of this text, and everything will continue off of this, because of this, in light of this. So, verse 34 34 and calling to the crowd the calling the crowd to him with its disciples he said to them if anyone would be would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me remember this is jesus continuing on from the prior part where peter has just said no jesus you don't have to die you don't have to suffer to do this but jesus says you jesus told his disciples that he must do this. He must suffer. He must die. It had to happen. And so when Jesus rebukes Peter, he's rebuking the idea that suffering is not in the picture, as he will here continue to lay out for us. And as we move on with this, let Jesus' rebuke to Peter stay with us. If we are setting our minds on the things of God, or if we are setting our minds on the things of man. And so his calling the crowd to him with his disciples shows that it was intended for not just his 12, not just maybe the 70, but for disciples. He is giving now a call. So, yes, there's a distinction between a crowd and the disciples, but what is truly the what distinguishes the two it is time with jesus a willingness to learn and then ultimately by regeneration of the heart into a heart that wants to hear jesus's words so it's not christian versus disciple here that you can be you can be a christian while not being a disciple or the other way around we see that a disciple is a follower and a and a christian is just a christ follower so this text is for all disciples everywhere at all times so we must hear them as if we were there hearing them spoken by our lord and so there's a crowd that formed around him whether this was because of the miracle of the healing or it was something else jesus drew people anywhere anytime people would see him crossing the the lake and they would run for miles to get there to him Whenever he would come somewhere, people would drag people in their beds to get them healed. So people, so people recognized Jesus. And so the text says that a crowd gathered around them. And he turns to all of them and says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the invitation did not go out to the disciples solely. It went out to all of them. If anyone will follow me. Just as in John 3.16, whoever believes in me, the call goes out to whoever would respond to this. This universal call went out then. Will you follow? 
Will you heed the call? Have you recognized Jesus yet? If you have or have not, the call goes out today again. Will you follow Jesus? This is for any who hear the call. The call has gone out in this text this morning. Whosoever will follow, follow. Or will you harden your heart and ignore it? It is a genuine call. The Bible says that Jesus' sheep will hear his voice. Maybe today you hear it for the first time. This call is sounded every time the Bible is read and preached. And I pray you have heard it already or hear it today afresh. And friends, it is free grace in a sense. And in another, it is not free. Jesus freely offered himself up on the cross as Gideon taught in the confession time that Jesus undertook the role of mediator willingly. Yet by it, it cost him everything. It cost him his life. And as we will see, there's a cost for us following Jesus. Jesus said that there was a cost in following him. He said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a condition, if if you would do this, if you want to, then some mandates, some warnings or obligations expected to be, f- to be f- held, then let him deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow Jesus. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What should we expect as those who commit ourselves to living as his disciples? Many people can give different answers to what it means to be a a follower of Jesus. Unfortunately, many of them are wrong. Many promise fortune, fame, health, wealth, prosperity, meaning, health, purpose in life. A shocking thing. They're all true. But they all go about it in the wrong way. As Jesus says here, A follower of Christ will gain everything, and they do get God's favor and blessing in their life. It is a life of great hope and great joy, but at the same time it's also marked of a life of self-denial, suffering, and sacrifice. In Mark we see some people coming to him to be fed. They have heard the miracle of the feeding, and so they come. Um, It says that they came to... Jesus rebukes them that... Did you just come to be fed? Some came for the healing, as we mentioned earlier. And yet here we see the first mention of a cross in Mark, the mention of death. And everyone who heard him knew, everyone who lived in a Roman-occupied territory knew what the cross was. The cross was an instrument of capital punishment and tortured, performed by Romans, where the victim is tied to a cross or a wooden beam, either tied or nailed to it, and left to hang until dead, either from exhaustion of the pain or from suffocation, because you cannot, you cannot breathe as you hang on the cross. It was a normal procedure for the condemned person to have to carry 
either the cross or the beam, the middle beam that they would be hung on from the place of judgment to the place of execution, as Jesus will be later in our text, a few chapters away. So when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he spoke about death. Today, you might hear someone giving the phrase, it's my cross to bear, meaning a burden they have to carry, but I strongly mean that they have no idea what they're talking about or use it wrongly. This is the essence of the cost of following Jesus, denying oneself, taking up one's cross, and following him. And as a Christian, we should not expect an easy time or easy believism. So I, as I mentioned, it's a call to self-denial, suffering, and sacrifice. Self-denial is not self-hatred or self-rejection, but it is to seek Christ, his way and his, wo- his glory above our. As the first catechism question in our confession says, asks and answers, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's not to enjoy life forever or our wants, but his. And in two chapters' time, we will see in Mark, Jesus is going to say to the rich young ruler that he basically must pursue him, Jesus, above his own wealth. And so the rich young man leaves sad because he wanted to be a follower, but he didn't want to give up his own. Denying oneself means to live not from your own priorities, but after another's. We must follow Christ's commands and his example. We must relinquish relinquish the throne. John MacArthur, a preacher, put it as refusing to associate with or to companion with someone. You have to refuse. And then speaking of your own self, in contrast to Jesus. I no longer want to associate with the person that I am. I realize my sinfulness. I realize I cannot earn this. I abandon the works righteousness system that was domin- that dominated Judaism and all other religions. In Philippians 3, 7-11, Paul says that he gave up his former life. He was a well-established rich, respected, powerful Jew in his own right. But he gave it up all, gave it all up for the sake of Christ. And as he put it, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I consider them, his former things, garbage. That I may gain Christ through the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So he had some personal worth in a sense but to him that was nothing compared to what he gained in Christ and this is the essence of self-denial that we should seek Christ instead of our own he wanted to be become like him in his death yet he was sure Paul that the rest of the resurrection of the dead it's not as he stopped what he was doing as he believed God He thought he served God earlier. He prayed to God. He read, studied about God. So it's not that he stopped doing that. 
he thought he believed he 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 thought he served God earlier, but the why he was doing it or who he was as he was doing it. So, friends, the Christian life is to rather want the things of God than the things of this world. And yet, so sacrifice and suffering comes in the way of carrying the cross to embrace rejection and difficulties in life. There's no forcing anyone to this. No one is tying us to a cross unwillingly or against your will. This is the genuine, willing, and voluntarily commitment to carry one's cross, Jesus is after here. And carrying the cross is not just common sufferings in life. It's not the, the lack of an eye. It's not the cancer. It's not the general sufferings of this world that this is talking about. But it is the problems and sufferings because of our faith in him, because of who we become by believing in him. What we do, what we say, it causes us to think differently, to speak differently, to act differently. And that will undoubtedly cause an effect in those around us. I will not because this and this. I will this instead because this and this. And that will cause problems because we will clash against the ways of the world. And so this is the cost and the suffering we have to carry because we follow his way instead of our own. Paul reassures his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 that since Christ is raised from the dead, and although Paul, writing this, was bound in chains for this very gospel that he preached, the gospel was not bound, Paul says. And so Paul endured all the suffering for the gospel that others also might reach the final destination, salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He remains faithful in us carrying our burdens and our sacrifice in his name, for he will not abandon us. He will not reject himself because he told us that he would be with us. So the last command here in this section is to follow him to commit to and to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in a continuing fashion. Not a, oh, I did that once, but a way of life in the everyday obeying of the Word of God as we follow the incarnate Word of God who gave it to us. We're to follow him, to imitate him. And as it says in 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So the cost of following Christ is really the total claim on the disciples' allegiance, rights, and life as the sovereignty of themselves are given over to Christ as we follow him instead of ourselves. The call has gone out then and today. All since Jesus first spoke those words, Will you heed the, ca the call, knowing the price it will cost you? Let me show you what you get in return. This is not trying to sweeten the deal or 
easy the load that I've just put on you. I will let Jesus himself and his words do the talking. And let the logic of it show that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As we look at the motivation for following Christ or the, the motivation for following Jesus. For, or because, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For, what does it, benefit, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For, what can a man give in return for his soul? And forth, for what, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his fathers with his holy angels. These four force, these four reasons, I, I give in three different motivations for following Jesus. We have eternal life. We have the price of a soul you cannot pay yourself. And third, you get to stand before Jesus' face one day. So if you're counting the cost... I don't think you can afford not to take up Jesus on his call and on his promises. For whoever would save his life would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. It can sound paradoxical. It can see can sound like these two are saying the opposite things. If you want to save it, you will lose it. He who tried to save his life will lose it, yet the one who loses it will save it. Life here is not just the physical existence, but one's being, personhood, soul, the core of one's existence. So in verse 34, Jesus implies that you might lose your life. But here, the, the, the promise is that if you lose your life, your physical life, you will not lose your life you will not lose your soul sometimes being preoccupied and preserving your physical life will risk meaning losing your soul in the process so we have to ask ourselves what is more important our physical life or our spiritual life that is the question this text implies and one that we must all answer what is more important to you if Jesus is more important to you than your life and what you do with it, that will secure your eternal life. Yet, if, it, if, if this existence is more important to you than Jesus, you will lose both, both Jesus and eternal life. The timeless urge in the Bible continues to this, till this day. Choose this day whom you will serve. The one will save you some trouble in this life, Yet at the end you will lose it. While the other road might be harder at times, though you get away, though, though yet you give your life away to Christ, he will give you eternal life in return for it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for a soul? The second motivation. R.C. Sproul called this spiritual economics, and he puts it that you can... You can work your way up in life. You can become more successful. You can own more things. You can do more things. You can 
gained the whole world and everything in it. But at what cost? Jesus says, your soul. So if you add up all the things you get on the one side and you add up the things you lose on the other side, you will come up in big red numbers because your soul and you'll see that there is no profit after all. It's like buying something with money that you don't have. It is literally like selling your soul to the devil. The devil tried to give the same to Jesus in the wilderness. Food, comfort, the world and all in it. But all, all Jesus had to do was bow down to the devil. He had to follow the devil. Yet no one can ransom their soul or give to God the price of the soul, as it is supremely costly. No one can redeem the life of another or give, his, give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever, not see decay, as our Old Testament text this morning said. The fourth, for this reason, and the third group. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You should follow him because you get to stand before Jesus' face one day. God came down to earth, lived as a man, and in Mark we've seen time and time again how Jesus teaches in opposition to the scribes and the Pharisees that they held twisted views. And now Jesus calls them a sinful and twisted, a adulterous generation, repeating the language of the Old Testament and the prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, where they accuse Israel of infidelity, unfaithfulness, of hardness of heart, of spiritual adultery. And Jesus says that whoever is ashamed of Jesus or his words, his teachings, he will not bring those gladly to the Father and saying, these are mine, they followed me. No, it will be, these were ashamed of me and of my words. How many in the world today try to change the words of Jesus out of shame? I recently heard a debate between two Christians that I have doubts about one of them. It was about marriage, and the one misquotes, takes out of context and forces meaning into Jesus' words, all to make them more acceptable to the crowd they're debating in front of. It is easy to make something mean almost anything if you take it out of context and spin it how you like. But if you treat the words seriously, there is but one meaning. This man, this debater who was ashamed of Jesus and his words, ultimately, so to make Jesus more friendly to his cause, to his pro-his views, the views he wanted to give, he twisted the words of the word of life. I'm not just pointing to this individual, but as a clear example of what some can do. I'm pointing to all of us here today. Shame is a powerful motivator and feeling and one that we wouldn't likely want more of if we could spare it. So times anyone can be guilty of hiding or reducing the devotion to Christ 
because we fear the shame that might come from the world. Yet one day we will stand face to face with Jesus, all of us, whether we follow him or not. How would you like Jesus to look at you? With shame or joy? As another preacher said, while we are tempted to shy away from our profession of Christ, we risk facing the ultimate shame when we stand before the Lord. We should be more fearful of being rejected by Christ on the last day than we are being rejected by other people today. Beloved, if we know him, let us do as he has told us to do in the parable of the lamp. Let it be high, let it be open, let it be visible. Let our profession of him and our devotion to him be like light so that people might see it and maybe they will also see the light. Let us not pet our fellow man as judges over us. Yet there's grace in the fall, but stand up, pick up your cross again, and follow him. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6-8. And so this is the cost of following Jesus, your life. Yet he promises you eternal life in return. You cannot do it on your own. And you will one day stand before him as accused or as beloved. As he brings you before the Father. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increase, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them who will never see the light of life. Psalm 49, as we read it this morning. And therein lies the hope of following Jesus, that he will redeem us and that he will take us to him. The hope then, the hope in following Jesus, on my last point. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Addressing them all there, standing where he said this, and he said some of them, will see the kingdom of God coming with power in this life. Some say this is referring to the second coming of Jesus, yet that has not happened yet, and they all died without seeing it. Some say it refers to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, yet that was 40 years later and seems off, as the context of Jesus' words here is talking about the cross. This is just one way Mark frames passages in this docudrama. He's speaking about the cross. Jesus continues, and he said to them, at the same place, the same time, Jesus just spoke about glory, heaven, the Father, with the holy angels. And so truly, I tell you, I tell you the truth. This is true. Amen. When would Jesus come back into his Father's glory? At his ascension, 
after the crucifixion, death, and his resurrection, ultimately. What the Romans, the leaders of the Jews, and the forces of darkness, darkness thought would be the killing blow to this eternal Son of God, the Son of Man, was in fact the inauguration, the, the launching, the crowning of Jesus, the crown ceremony of the kingdom of God come with power. So in the text following of the apostles would see, as we will see next time, God willing, the apostle will see a glimpse of this power of God, not the whole. So after giving this high call and the high cost of discipleship, Jesus gives this high hope that the kingdom of God will come and once the suffering will end and Jesus will reign in victory. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Hebrews 2.9 So it was indeed a costly cross to bear for Christ as it was for the first disciples, and it will be the same for all of us who will follow Jesus. But that's the whole point of Jesus' words to us here today, that discipleship is a life and death situation, leading either to gruesome or glorious destination. Are you willing to pay the cost of being a follower of Christ? Remember, it's a glorious call and one that he who called is faithful. And I may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let us pray. <clears throat>